We need more certain lawyers. I don't know how to emphasize this. Do it. It's fun. It doesn't matter if it takes seven or eight years. They fly by. It's so rewarding. It's very rewarding. And of course, I like to think of our profession as having some influence, which can ultimately translate and help our community. While growing up, I would often experience older generations of Assyrians trying to influence the youth to pursue career goals that were fulfilling, both monetarily and on a personal level. I would hear things like, you should become an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer. And even these days, I would often wonder about those who set off on that path. Were they happy? Did they feel forced to try and meet a family expectation? It's a theme we've come across on the Assyrian Podcast before, and undoubtedly will again and again. Hello again, it's John, representing the Chicagoland for episode 28, where I sat down with injury lawyer Tony Caligaracos. He has a genuine passion for his career in law and for his Assyrian community. Those two blended together a year ago when he and many others in his profession helped form the Assyrian American Bar Association. You, the listener, will find out how Tony got involved in law in the first place and how it applies to helping the Assyrian nation as a whole. If there's one bit of advice or knowledge to be gained from Tony, it's that we need more Assyrian lawyers. But don't just take it from me. Let the man tell you himself. But before we begin, I have a winner to announce for the first ever Assyrian podcast giveaway. Congratulations to Rosemary Georges, who selected episode 13 as her favorite episode. DM us on Instagram for your choice of Assyrian convention registration or a $50 Amazon gift card. Finally, a big thank you to all of our listeners, whether you're a day one follower or you're listening for the very first time, we appreciate you. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Assyrian Podcast. Or if you have any ideas or feedback, email us at assyrianpodcast at gmail.com. And for those of you attending the Assyrian Convention this weekend, stop by the media panel on Sunday and say hello to Odessa and Steve. They'll have some cool podcast swag with them. And also feel free to ask any questions or pass along any suggestions you have for future episodes of the Assyrian Podcast. Now, without further delay, we present to you episode 28 with Tony Caligaracos. Tony, I have to admit, the first handful of times I saw your likeness and your name on anything, it was always sponsoring something Assyrian. I always saw your name uh, on flyers, on the internet, sponsoring a fundraiser, some type of Assyrian party, some type of get-together. And I kept thinking to myself, the emphasis was on the last name, and I thought, why is a Greek lawyer so um, involved in the Assyrian community? Why does he care? And it turns out last year when I finally met you at the Assyrian Youth Summit at the convention, it turns out that you are Assyrian on your mother's side. Uh, So tell us what it was like growing up in a Greek-Assyrian family. Now I finally realized why it took 30 episodes to be finally interviewed by you guys. It's because I'm half Greek. <laughs> I'm hoping this interview is not going to be cut short. But on a serious note, it was fun. There's really not many differences between Greeks and Assyrians. 
outside of the arguments with regards to who was here first, who invented what, we're actually very much alike. Uh, do you identify as both Greek and Assyrian? Do you find a pull towards one more so than the other? Well, well of course I identify as both, Liz Sarun Nebabi. Um, but that being said, a lot of people know that I'm Assyrian because I speak Assyrian fluently. I'm a little bit more involved in the Assyrian community as opposed to the Greek community. Um, I do speak conversational Greek here and there, but most of my family is Assyrian. So that being said, my father was an only child and his family is in Greece and he lost his parents at a very young age. So in essence, all I really had was my Assyrian family in the States. Do you, so you feel maybe there was more of a pull towards your Assyrian cousins, uncles, aunts, everything like that, because simply there were more of them and you were around them more often. Let's just say my aunts and uncles didn't own TVs. <laughs> so there was there was a lot of conversation going on. Well, we I have over 50 first cousins. Um, so you have to realize when you have that many first cousins, let alone second cousins, um, we're very blessed is what I like to say. So that actually helps a lot with actually retaining the language and everything like that. You mentioned you speak Assyrian fluently. It helps to have a lot of first cousins that you're around all the time to speak. Did you guys mostly speak conversational Assyrian? Was it mixed in with a little bit of English or a little bit of something else? It also helps that we had the old school parents that would uh, put a whooping if we didn't go ahead and speak Assyrian in the household. No so, English in the house. Huh? Yes. Well, I, I attended kindergarten without knowing a word of English. So... Again, it was emphasized in our house. And you mentioned uh, it was you know, mostly your mother's family. How did your dad fit in when when there was Assyrian spoken in the house? Did, did he know any Assyrian at yeah, all? Did he pick my, up on my, that? My mom put a whooping. She taught him. He understood. <laughs> um, he had conversational Assyrian, as crazy as it sounds. And the funniest thing in the world is he would throw in more Assyrian words in typical speak in English, so to say, than most of us would these days. That, that's incredible. Uh, what does, I always see it written on your business card that I see right in front of me on all the flyers. What does the S middle initial stand for in your name? It, it actually stands for my late father's name, Salone. Um, happens also to be the name of my firstborn. And on that note, I'm glad you asked. I'm happily married to my wife, Romina, and I have three wonderful children, Salone, Antonia, and Antonios. And you can probably tell I watch Wheel of Fortune. And during our free time, we like to go to the beach and attend the Assyrian Fest this weekend. Just a little plug for our church. Excellent. And I noticed your kids' names, they're predominantly Greek names. but uh, So you share a little bit of that culture with them and naming them that. But you speak mostly Assyrian in the house today as well? No, no English mixed in? Correct. I just wanted my father to be remembered. And you just started a World War III with regards to why my kids are not named Assyrian. But thank, <laughs> thank you very much. No, but I like no, the, no, no, thank you. I like the, uh, I like the uh, inclusion in the, the Greek culture because you can't ignore what you are on, on one half of the side and, and you only kind of gravitate towards one. So I, I totally understand. I agree with you. Thank you. So obviously you are in injury law. What was the first thing that sparked your interest in the, the field of law, generally speaking? I was involved in this field from a teenager. When I lost my father, I had to get serious. So I got a job at a law firm in the personal injury department, and I actually never looked back. My cousin's husband hired me as a teenager, um, and then I fell in love. 
I was pre-med at one point, um, but like most of the kids these days or back in the day, we were given a couple options. Either you're a doctor or a lawyer or engineer back in the day. Or a family failure, right? (laughs) That that was your third option. Like I said, we had a couple options, doctor or lawyer. But that's pretty much what I was given, and I fell in love with personal injury law. This is a very super Assyrian-related question. Uh, but, you know, with Hammurabi's code that, that has direct ties to the Assyrian culture, uh, Babylonia is, uh, Babylonian is often what it's kind of labeled as. But that's Hammurabi's code is the first, I shouldn't say first, but it's the oldest existing uh, version of the law on text, you know, engraved in stones. Did you know about that as a kid? Did that play in at all into your, into your uh, you know, admiration of the law and eventually going into that field? I knew of it as a kid. I know of it now. But my admiration was more of suing people, which I enjoyed. Um, And I I hope I get extra credit for being honest on that one. The history of the code, though, I love. Um, That being said, I've always been very competitive. And in this field, you have to be very competitive. For instance, my goal is to get this podcast to be the most heard out there. it's it's, It's in our nature, you know. But... Again, I know of the code. I'm very familiar with the code. I love it, um, but I also love my field too. And you mentioned the love of your field, and then only having two options as a child—you know, pre-med or or law. Uh, did you ever have any kind of um, hopes and dreams in your mind of I don't know becoming a pro baseball player, of being an actor, of of doing something completely different, being a veterinarian, doing something completely outside of the box? Yeah, I wanted to become a teacher. Okay. Yeah, I, I always tutored kids uh, dur- during law school and also during the time that I was in school and at the law firm, I worked as a tutor in the evenings. So I fell in love with teaching kids. The only problem is, I always say, you need to have a good level of patience to move forward with, rega- with regards to becoming an actual teacher. And that, my friend... I lack, <laughs> and I'm honest about that. Okay. Um, I, I love the teaching profession, though. Yeah, you have to admire what teachers go through on an annual yeah. basis with all those kids, and, and like you said, patience is key. Uh, well, I also was pre-med, and I, I was given the opportunity to be an intern one week um, at an emergency room, and I realized after a couple days I don't like blood. You don't have the stomach for, for no. blood flying around. No. Not everybody does. Law definitely takes you outside of the witnessing people being stabbed and things of that nature. Sure, or injured in a car accident. Exactly. Along the years, the months going through law school, uh, ending up in the profession, who were some of the people that lent you support uh, behind this dream of becoming a lawyer? Obviously, my mother played an instrumental part. If it wasn't for her, I I probably would have just done what most kids would do when they lose their parents very young um, and just start working, hitting the field out there. Uh, She was amazing. She is amazing. And of course, I have a very supportive family and a wonderful group of friends out there. You know, again, it's, I like to call it my network. All right. And this network has been behind me from day one. Who are some of the, the people in this network? Well, you have to realize with the aunts and uncles, they play a big role in the Assyrian community, all right? So when, when it comes down to my aunt, my late aunt, Josephine, who's a tag team partner with my mom, who also happens to have 10 kids that would put a whooping on me if I didn't listen, 
she was also with my mom out there just fighting away, making sure I stick to my schooling. My cousin's husband played a big part as well. He owned a big, he still owns a big law firm downtown, along with my best friend. He, he, you know, my best friend used to be my old boss. He played a, a big part with regards to teaching me exactly what it is to take a case step by step to where it has to get to. And again, never underestimate the teachers that were involved. You know, I, as a young kid in, in a local school in Chicago, I had a certain teachers too. And they weren't shy with regards to telling your parents whether or not you stepped out of line. So a shout out to Mrs. Yuchenna out there. Thank you, Mrs. Yuchenna. Uh, so you mentioned that injury law was the first field you worked into when you got a job at an office. Was there ever a time where you considered doing anything else, whether it's you know becoming a divorce lawyer, a corporate lawyer, anything like that? Or were you pretty much set on injury law straight from the beginning? Straight from the beginning. There's nothing else. I like to wake up to every morning and say I'm going to go and do. So this what is, drew you to that specifically? Because that is a very that is a very specific choice to deal with injury law. So so why that in particular? So initially it was it, it might sound cliche. It's helping these folks out when they're initially in a car accident. People don't realize somebody's car accident changed people's lives. Um, as much as you, you see these commercials out there, or you see these billboards out there, or you see these vanity numbers out there. In reality, it changes your life, and you really do. And I always treat a client like it's my mom sitting across from me, all right? Why? She doesn't have the expertise or the language or, or the knowledge with regards to what to do if she's in a car accident, and we literally, we're, we're smaller. We're a little boutique firm. We like to hold the hand of our client and then walk them through everything and then ultimately get them to where they have to be. I always tell the client, don't focus on the case, focus on your health. We'll focus on everything else. I do like how you apply the principles of like the, the love that your mother showed and the, the family unit of being a Syrian and incorporate that into your practice. Because Absolutely. not everybody does that. Do you often get asked for advice from acquaintances and friends for something completely unrelated? Like they, they might not know specifically. They might think, okay, Tony's a lawyer. Let me ask him about this property I want to buy and see if he could take a look at this deed or do something completely unrelated to injury law. Do you get that a lot? Every day and every second. <laughs> um, I always like to refer as my firm as a Chekhana. Client, <laughs> clients don't believe in appointments, which I love. Don't get me wrong. Um, if you're one of them, I'm not talking down. I love it. That means that you are comfortable coming in whenever you want. It's like your house. It's like your home. Again, I love it. And, you know, to, to hear someone just come on in and ask me questions, it shows that they value my opinion, number one, and that they trust me. And it took over a decade for my staff to realize that we do not have set appointments in this firm, but now we're comfortable with it. They're comfortable with it, and we wouldn't change it for the world. So you call it a chaykhana. Do you have a lot of Assyrian clients? You're in the heart of basically Assyria, Illinois, so you have to have at least a few, right? Well, if it wasn't for Assyrians, let's be honest, I wouldn't be where I'm at, okay? We're very loyal to one another. As much as people think that Assyrians don't go to Assyrians for business, they are wrong. Uh, they go to those that they trust. And if they don't have their trust, that's your fault. It's not theirs. So that being said... I give a great amount of gratitude for my certain folks out there. I'm very blessed. What was one of the most difficult cases you had, and what made it so difficult? You know, we've 
we've had quite a bit of cases. Uh, we're not trying to toot our own horn. With regards to difficulty, a lot of them are difficult. But if you want me to point out a couple, there was we, we had a case about 10 years ago. Um, the young lady was in a big car accident. She was turned down by every prominent law firm out there. Um, and when, when we had the opportunity to sit down and talk to her, we realized, we, we always say a good lawyer knows the law, a better lawyer knows the exceptions to the law. We realized there was an opportunity to help her. So after filing suit and doing the whole litigation role, um, we, we took it to trial and we got the entire policy of a million bucks, which ultimately helped her pay all her bills, put her where she needed to be, and also helped her move forward with her life. Do you ever run into situations where you look at some of the exceptions and sort of realize there are none and have to turn down somebody yourself? Yeah, we're, we're, also, we're, we're also very ethical. And out of 10 cases that walk into our firm, we do take on, I, I would say, three to four. Uh, we do turn down quite a bit of business. We, we have a reputation out there. We don't want to tarnish our reputation. Um, insurance companies are a small-knit community. Opposing counsels are a small-knit community. So we want to let them know the cases that we do have are serious. And growing up, I, I watched a lot of, I didn't, shouldn't really say I watched, but I was, uh, there was a lot of this on television. There was divorce court. There was Judge Judy. Uh, there was the good old classic boxing ref, Judge Mills Lane, who had his own TV show on television. Did you watch any of that? No. No. I can't stand them, and I can't stand the people that watch them. Okay. Do you find that – have you ever watched like a couple of minutes of it and thought this is completely unrealistic? Or Absolutely. Just... Okay. Absolutely. Totally different than what we do. It, it's like when my wife likes to tell me why a certain person on law and order should be prosecuted in a certain <laughs> way, and I keep telling her this is nothing like the actual field. So your, your wife has time for law and order – you work at a law firm which, by all stereotypical standards, seems like a job that consumes your entire life. So what does somebody like you in this profession do to unwind and have fun? Every second I have, I spend it on those three monsters that are at the house. Um, they're very active, like their mother. They don't listen, like their mother. <laughs> and I love it. You know, I wouldn't have it any other way. I just like to spend every, every second of free time with them. And what do you like to do in, in, in your free time? Do you ever take them fishing? Do you ever go out and bowl? Let's, let's see. For example, this morning my wife sends me a text saying that my son was very honest with her with regards to why his leg was bruised. We love to wrestle, okay? Um, we love to ride our bikes. We love to play hide-and-go-seek monster, which we created a game of ourselves because we thought hiding go seek was just eh, it was 80s and 90s so we figured throwing the monster in there and scared the daylights out of everyone <laughs> so it's fun we we love the outdoors and we love this period of time in chicago where you have your may through your october to be outdoors because november through april we're hibernating pretty much yeah and i feel like father-son wrestling is like a in a syrian pastime it's like there's no there's no relationship built without that you yeah, know but we also have monster of the midway my daughter that will beat up all of us <laughs> so i believe it's the next ronda rousey coming out of tony's household <laughs> yeah <laughs> in 2017 uh you established the assyrian american bar association uh what role does that association play and what does it do for assyrians in particular so let, let's correct your question. It was a group of us that had this idea. We came together 
um, and ultimately formed the association. It wasn't just myself. I was ultimately elected as the president during its first election, but to touch on the Bar Association, I always like to mention our mission, our mission statement. So I'm going to read it. The Assyrian American Bar Association is a nonprofit organization founded to promote high standards of competence, professionalism, and integrity with and among Assyrian attorneys and the Assyrian communities. It seeks to cultivate a strong network of Assyrian attorneys with a comprehensive range of legal expertise to serve the Assyrian community and mentor our youth who aspire to join the legal profession. I shouldn't have had it italicized because I can barely read it. <laughs> so what I like to say is this, and when people tell me what is the Assyrian American Bar Association doing out there, I'm sure that was your follow-up question. I like to answer it with regards to it's building a foundation for our community and having a voice. This voice that I mention and I talk of and I speak of, we literally are so, it's so unfortunate and it hurts me to say we don't have a voice out there. Whether it's local, whether it's state, federal, or back home, we we don't. And I, I love what our communities are doing out there. I love what our organizations are, are doing out there. I always look to political science and law as helping to ultimately obtain that one voice we need to gratitude, to put everyone together and then to, to get hurt. So, for example, mentorship is a, a big part of the Bar Association as well for people, uh, students especially looking to get into law event, uh, eventually. So let's say, for example, a uh, there's a teenager at a high school who needs to uh, seek you out for advice. How do they go about doing that? Well, right now we're putting together, it's funny you ask, a mentorship application. All right, and at our next meeting, it's going to be ultimately approved. So what we've been doing is outside of our community events is we're putting together a strategy with regards to attending the high schools. There are certain clubs at high schools in Chicago. We're also going to be doing that out in California. With regards to colleges, there's organizations out there. We're going to be attending those. And a lot of people underestimate with regards to like our church youth. We're also going to be attending their functions. Similar to that of our organizations and their youth groups. You know, next week we'll be at the convention speaking to the youth. So something like that, it's reaching out to them directly is the best approach. As opposed to, don't get me wrong, I know it's social media world out there, but I think the one-on-one is what's advantageous for all involved. You obviously have a Chicago base. You mentioned California. Is it too early to tell uh, whether you could be expanding elsewhere? Well, no, we are in California. We also have regional representatives in California. We also have a, a growing community out in D.C., so that's great. So we have right now over 60 members in about a dozen states, which is awesome. This is a first-year uh, information. So we're growing, slowly but surely. But ultimately speaking, which I'm sure we'll touch on, it, it all comes down to us needing more lawyers out there. For Assyrians looking to get into law, what's the grand piece of advice that you have for them? We need more Assyrian lawyers. I don't know how to emphasize this. Do it. It's fun. It doesn't matter if it takes seven or eight years. They fly by. It's so rewarding. It's very rewarding. And of course, I like to think of our profession as having some influence 
which can ultimately translate and help our community. Um, with regards to the, the time, everyone always says it's the time and the money and the tuition and blah, blah, blah. You have to realize one thing. Coming into a specific field, you'll be able to pay that tuition off. You'll be able to pay off your student loans, all right? I always tell people, let's go back to that old school mentality. Give the kids an option. I know it's awesome where you're giving them a voice to be heard and everything, but it's, it, let's go back to that old school mentality, a certain mentality with regards to the doctors, the lawyers, and the colleges. You know, people these days don't believe in going in college as much as they used to back in the day. I disagree with that. And, and I know there's a lot of fields that don't require college. I think college provides that structure that will ultimately help out that particular individual moving on in whatever field they choose. And you touched on it a little bit earlier when you mentioned that uh, as a community, we don't really have a voice. But ultimately, why is it so important to have so many Assyrian lawyers out there? Well, going back to what you answered it in your question, it's that voice. It goes a long way. We're, we're whispering to each other right now, but others need to ultimately hear us. And by ultimately need to hear us, hear us in what sense? What exactly are we talking about when we're speaking as a community? Well, whether it's local, for example, in Skokie, Illinois, or whether it's Morin Grove, Illinois, or Niles, whether it's on a state level or whether it's on a federal level or whether it's going back home, whether it's with this voice, it's that founding foundation, that little building structure that I told you about. It's allowing us to get heard, to ultimately have the representatives reach out to other representatives out there and listen to our concerns, our needs, you know, you know, with regards to locality, you know, whether it's a school, whether it's a nursing home, you know, whether it's on, on a federal level or overseas, you know, unfortunately, our, our, our folks back home, let's be honest, they need help, all right? And it's not going to be out there that's ultimately going to take them to a promised land, so to say, no pun intended. It's, it's, it's over here. Why? Because that voice, we don't have that voice back home. And if we did, we wouldn't be in a position as we were today. So you feel that maybe stateside or in Canada and other areas of the diaspora, it's important to build up the, the voice there, legally speaking, before anything can really be done in the homeland. Hit the nail on the head. What do you say to Assyrians who choose to go into fields that are completely opposite of yours, whether they be in the creative field, uh, whether it's the tech industry, or uh, you know, whether they want to move to rural America and start up their own farm? I, I have no problem with it whatsoever. I'll encourage it. You know, it's getting into a professional field. Let's let's be frank. It's an honor to be in that position in the first place. Um, like I mentioned before. I have no objection to any of our Assyrians going into the medical field, in the news field, journalism, or whether it's the tech world. The tech world's taken over, you know? And the only thing is, if I hope this would be the case, if you're talking to a medical professional, they're going to push you towards the medical field. You're talking to a legal professional. I have a goal of pushing you into the legal field. Naturally. Do you find that at home with your with your children that you sort of try to plant little seeds here and there of wanting to, you know, encourage a interest in the field of law? Absolutely. And as young as they are, 
I still bring them to the office. Um, every morning or every week, whenever they ask where you're going, you have to explain to them where you're going. It's just not shula. No, it's not. You have to explain to them that, hey, we're going to help people. All right. And it's that's the planting the seeds. If these guys, these kids, all kids can realize one thing with regards to but at any given field, you know, if you don't have the passion for it, don't get into it. It's that simple. Whoever tells you otherwise, if you're going to it for the monetary end, you're gonna fail at it. Um, and you, you could be blessed with that opportunity, but if, if you don't wake up every day wanting to go into it, I don't see how you can ultimately drive and survive and succeed in that field. You mentioned when you were initially getting into the field, it was to help out with your family because it was just you and your mom at one point after your dad passed away. And um, obviously you went uh, into law school and everything like that and, and built a budding career. However, if the, the tables were sort of turned and uh, law wasn't really seen as this prosperous money-making type of profession, how would you have looked at it then? I'm not sure. It's a great question. Because I feel like a well, lot. I wish you would have sent it to me earlier, and I would have prepped on it. But it, this anyway, is actually something that came off the yeah, top of my head. Because... Story, like make me stutter, like I did with the mission statement. Now, that's cute, though. That's cute. You put me on the spot. I usually like to put people on the spot. But I, I, I guess to answer it off the top of my head. So you mentioned with regards to they put you, meaning the the parents force you into medical or or law because of the prosperity and all that. Right. You're, you're right. You're absolutely correct. I look at it a different way. I look at it as that parent wants you to do well, all right? And back in the day, they were engraved with the mentality of this is what you need in order to go ahead and achieve or be successful, whether it's here or anywhere else. Fine. I agree with that. Um, what it, It's like today with regards to what no parent wants their kid not to go to school. And if you are one of those parents, God bless you, you know. I'm not sure what your strategy is, but um, the ultimate goal of a parent, in my mind, and in some others' mind, it's, it's you're reflected on how your kids ultimately become as adults, okay. Um, and and it's, that's not being selfish at all. Some people will say it's selfish. It's not. They're looking for the best interest of the kid. Come on, let's be honest. You know, it's I'd rather have a kid that's successful as opposed to a 50-year-old that's living in my house and me supporting him. No disrespect to any of those that are out there. If you had kind of one piece of, I know I mentioned advice that you would give to any budding lawyers out there or anything like that, but let's speak generally about the Assyrian community. What do you hope to see more out of us as a whole in the next few years? Working together. And we're doing a great job with it right now. But working together, it's it's this network out there that exists. If we work together, it's the greatest thing in the world. And a lot of other communities and ethnicities have established that for decades. They're doing very well. If we can get on the same page and realize one thing, working together allows us to go ahead and ultimately get to the next stage of life, we'll realize we're setting that foundation, that voice we can relate to, making it easier for our youth to come into this world, all right, and ultimately translate into becoming a little bit more successful, becoming heard, working with one another, and ultimately achieving that end result that we all have in mind. It doesn't necessarily have to be law in any given field. 
And those budding lawyers or anybody else professional in the, the legal field, if they want to reach out to you or if they want to be part of the uh, Syrian American Bar Association, how do they go about doing that? We have a Facebook page over at a Syrian American Bar Association and also lists our telephone numbers. We're more than happy to go ahead and share our network list of all attorneys that are members. And obviously, if you know a member, if you know a lawyer, you can call them directly. I don't think there's a single lawyer in our association that would not take a call. Call them directly. Let's be old school about this. We don't have to sit there and, and do the formalities with regards to, well, do we send this? No. Pop into their office. Why not? Become Tony's firm, that Khan. Just walk in there. We appreciate that. Tony, I want to thank you for your time giving up your Saturday morning in order to talk to the Assyrian podcast about what it is you do, your Assyrianism. I thank you so much for your time. Hopefully we get to do this again once well, down the road. Thank you, along with the founding members of the Assyrian podcast. Obviously, it, it's you guys that are helping us set that foundation of getting that voice heard. Thank you.